Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the opening episode of Season 4 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. Uh, this is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Um, I hope you all enjoyed my chat with John Paulson last week. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing as many album wraps as we can over the coming months. And I was asked on Facebook, um, I think this past week, about the possibility of the two of us backtracking and covering the first two albums. So that's something that I'm definitely going to see if we can figure out. So I'll look out for those episodes. I'll probably, if we do record those, I'll just put those out as extra episodes rather than sort of, um, you know, moving the schedule back. Um, but anyway, back to today's episode, which covers the fantastic opening track from the Heartbreakers' fourth album, Hard Promises, and is, of course, The Waiting. Go check out the episode notes for a link to the song so that you can go listen to it before we dig in. Um, and if you're new to the podcast, I don't actually include the song itself in the episode for licensing reasons, but I'm exploring whether or not that might be something I can do in future seasons. Okay, The Waiting is the hardest part, so let's get into it. <laughs> Before we start digging into this song, I wanted to just mention how excited I've been to start talking about this album. Um, I'll get into the reasons for that uh, with John during our album rap episode, but Hard Promises is an album that, it, for some reason, just really resonates with me. You know, I mean, there, there's so many outstanding tracks on it, and I would say along with Wildflowers, it's probably the record in the catalogue that I spin the most often. The Waiting is also one of my very favourite Tom Petty compositions, so I don't think there'll be any surprises when I give my rating at the end of the episode. The Waiting was the first single from Hard Promises um, and was released before the album was released. And, I, I, you know, it would have been hugely anticipated as the lead single from an album that had enormous shoes to fill, following as it did Damn the Torpedoes. The track did reach number one on the US rock charts, but it peaked at 19 on the Billboard charts. Ironically, um, the song from the Hard Promises sessions that gained the most mainstream traction was Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which the radio stations just ate up. And that song it was essentially a track originally intended for this album, but it was given to Stevie Nicks after Tom realised that Insider had to stay a heartbreaker's song. According to Tom, the title of The Waiting is based on a quote from Janis Joplin, in which she says, I love being on stage, everything else is just waiting. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo that he's pretty sure that's where the idea was born. He also says, Roger McGuinn swears that he said it to me, but reflects that he's pretty sure that wasn't the case and the Joplin line was the inspiration. He also tells Paul that the chorus was what came first, and when asked whether that was unusual for him, he says, yeah, it is unusual. I usually work kind of linear from the beginning. It's a whole lot harder to work back from the chorus. It is for me. Because of this, Tom says that he worked exclusively on The Waiting for weeks, but was so convinced that the chorus was really strong that he knew he had to find the right verses to be able to run with it. There's a wonderful quote again in conversations with Tom Petty where, in talking about the song and the work that went into it, he says, I just had to get the whole fish in the boat. I knew I hooked it. And sometimes songs come all together in a blaze of inspiration, and sometimes it takes a lot of work to mould them into the right shape. I'm just eternally thankful that Tom recognised the strength of this one and stuck with it. Disc 1 from 1995's compilation release playback is titled The Big Jangle. And other than Listen to Her Heart, no song epitomises that better to me than The Waiting. The song starts with that fantastic suspended guitar intro. For four bars, we have Tom and Stan playing alone. Tom laying the foundations for the song with that gorgeous guitar tone and Stan filling things rhythmically on the hi-hat and toms. 
And there's also some tambourine in there, which would likely have been overdubbed, I'm sure. But the whole thing is so cleverly arranged. One of my Twitter followers, actually, uh, Mary Beth Donnelly, puts it perfectly uh, when she notes that it's always good to build anticipation with a song about anticipation. What a great way to describe the opening nine bars of this song. You're not sure at first exactly what direction the track is going to take, but the tone and tempo immediately makes you relax. It's such a happy, upbeat vibe, and in that way, stands in stark contrast to the album opener from Damn the Torpedoes, Refugee. The feeling on this one is sunshine and fresh air. You can almost feel the Pacific Coast Highway flying by under you know clear blue skies. And that positivity is reinforced immediately by the opening lines. Oh baby, don't it feel like heaven right now? Don't it feel like something from a dream? At this point, you definitely get the sense that, again in juxtaposition to Refugee, this is not a song about heartache or pain. It's going to have some sort of positive message. After the first four bars of the intro, Mike's lead chimes in. It's really heavy on the reverb and sounds like it's been recorded in a huge hall, which, of course, it wasn't. It's just beautifully engineered again by Shelley Yakus. Once we hit the song proper, I should say that this is one of my very favourite Stan Lynch drum parts, and one I simply cannot master in terms of replicating the way he plays it. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo that no one could have played this song but Stan, and I would agree 100%. It has just that certain tempo and bounce to it that is entirely Stan Lynch. It's a really hard thing to describe, but some musicians are just so unique in how they approach a song, and Stan absolutely nails this one to the wall in every way. All the fills are perfect. The kick drum pattern sits between the beats wonderfully, and the subtle alternation between that pattern and a straighter backbeat in the chorus makes it a wonderfully toe-tapping part that he's playing. And similarly, Ron plays a, a very easily identifiable Ron Blair bass line, sitting on that kick pattern, but moving up and down the scales to give that bottom end some movement. I've used the expression movement a lot in the podcast so far, and I think maybe I should probably explain what it means from my perspective. Again, I'm not a music expert. I'm not a, you know, I'm not schooled or educated in this stuff, but in this song, for example, it would be easy and perfectly fine for Ron to sit on the root notes of each phrase in the verse and chorus, and it wouldn't slow the song down or take away from it. However, by making that decision to slide up to those root notes in the, in the higher octaves and then alternate that between the higher and lower octaves and just play around with those notes, it just it adds more character to the song and it doesn't leave it sitting in one place too long in that bottom end. It's also what a guitar lick or a vocal scat line or ad lib can do melodically, but what Ron does expertly on so many Heartbreakers songs. So when I say movement, that's what I'm talking about. Playing something that's still fairly melodically simple, but with just enough variation that it doesn't fade completely into the background. As with Damn the Torpedoes, the rhythm section is engineered to perfection. That tight but full snare sound, the way the toms are mixed high but clean, the cymbals are crisp, and and the bass is completely clear throughout. Um, and I'll talk about this with John in our album rap. I think we may even have touched on it in our last conversation, um, that the Heartbreakers, to me, would have come into the studio to make this album with a lot more confidence than the previous record. Everything they learned about studio craft and the way Jimmy IOV made records was polished and honed, and The Waiting is maybe the best example of a great band taking a great song and recording it perfectly. The song follows a fairly simple A, B, A, B, C, B structure. So that's, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. Uh, and again, the beauty is in the simplicity. The verses are an unambiguous expression of love and lead into one of Tom's best choruses. Talk about building backs from that chorus, how could you not? The Waiting is the hardest part. That can be about getting to the end of the workday and getting back home to your family. It could be about getting home from a prolonged absence to see your sweetheart. I know as an ex-soldier, uh, the waiting to get home on leave to see the place you grew up was interminable. And I spent hundreds of hours on trains subconsciously, you know, waiting. 
You could also interpret it as being the waiting to accomplish something that you're working towards and is almost within your grasp. So that line, that, that one line carries a ton of emotional and allegorical weight, yet it sounds so effortlessly easy. And in the song, Tom also employs the trick that he often uses lyrically where he changes just one line of the chorus. So, you know, every day you see one more card becomes every day you get one more yard. And I absolutely adore that second line. Again, it sounds simple, but in a song about waiting and anticipation, you know, every day you get one more yard is saying you just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other and eventually you'll reach your goal, whatever that is. So Tom may have been talking about something specific to himself in the lyrics, but writes them in such a way that they can mean a lot to different people in different contexts. One of my favourite Tom Petty songs and one of my favourite drum parts also has one of my favourite bridges. This is where the song goes into a minor chord for the first time, but it's a defiantly positive expression. Don't let it kill you, baby. Don't let it get to you. That sucks you in. And then, I'll be your beating heart. I'll be your crying fool. Delivers a lyrical knockout punch. I love the vulnerability in that line. No matter what... I have your back and you can count on me. I haven't talked yet about Ben Mont's organ part on this song and it's such a simple part and it's mixed fairly low in, in most cases that there's not, you know, there's not a ton to dig into with this one. So as is sometimes the case with Ben Mont's keys, it's there just to fill out the sound and make the entire things just have that little bit more width and that little bit more sort of that, that bigger feel. And this is the thing about the waiting. If you look at it from a musical standpoint, it's not blowing your mind in any way. There's nothing technically challenging about how it's structured or played. Benmont doesn't have any lead lines on this, as he did on so many tracks on Damn the Torpedoes, but the song doesn't call for that. So he sits in the pocket and just adds that little bit of colour. Alrighty, it's time for the first Petty Trivia of Season 4. So the last trivia question in Season 3 was, at which legendary San Francisco venue did the Heartbreakers enjoy a 20-night residency between January 10th and February 7th of 1997? The answer, of course, is San Francisco's Fillmore. And the anticipation among us fans for a rumoured box set of performances from this run is high, following a recent interview with Mike Campbell in which he confirmed that the work has been done... Um, they're just seeing what's going to happen. So no official announcement has been made and no date has been confirmed, but this is going to be a hugely popular package for hardcore fans to dig into. So your question for this week, this one's easy, guys. I'm giving you, I'm giving you, really giving you sort of a softball on this one. Which original track recorded during the Wildflowers sessions was included on 1993's Greatest Hits album? <laughs> Okay, back to the song. Coming out of that middle eight, we hit the, you know a nice 12-bar solo that shows Mike at his melodic best. No Chuck Berry imitation here, no shredding, not trying to take things too far, just a superbly written and played solo. If I ever get to talk to Mike, this is one that I would love to ask him about. I wonder if that solo was played in one or two takes or was sort of ad-libbed in one or two takes off the cuff or whether it was planned out because it certainly feels more like the latter. And if it's the former, only makes it all the more fantastic. The other thing that happens in the solo is that those big crash cymbals from Stan are brought up and he moves to the bell of the ride in the second half when the, the chord progression switches to those minor chords and it makes the whole thing chime and crescendo into the outro. 
in that outro, we get a repeat of the chorus and kind of a, it's almost like a false ending. You know, three minutes and six seconds. You think the song is building to a big close and the hardest part, you know, that the song could end there. And had Danny Cordell produced this song, I think it probably would have ended there. But instead, we get a reprise of the intro with some additional keyboard from Ben Mont before hitting those ad lib vocals to fade. So vocally, Tom pushes his voice a little on this one. It's not quite in refugee territory, but it builds to close to that sort of energy. And on the lead into the chorus when he sings, to make me want to live like I want to live now, you hear him really force that rasp in his voice and attack the delivery. He then drops back into honey mode for the chorus until the final, the waiting is the hardest part. He clips his vocals hard in the bridge, and overall he runs through a fair bit of his repertoire in this one song without it sounding fragmented or contrived. Basically, it's just a perfect vocal performance. Tom tells Paul Zolo that Linda Ronstadt actually called him when she was covering The Waiting for clarification on one of the lyrics. And Tom says, She phoned me because she couldn't figure out all the words. It was the line, No one could have ever told me about this, and I thought, Damn, I've got to try to enunciate better. I think that line is so great because of where he puts the syllables in time to the music. One, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. There are actually too many syllables in that line, really, but he makes them work in such a cool way that, you know, even that adds the build into that chorus. Jimmy Iovine tells Warren Zanes in his 2015 biography, Petty, that he thought the waiting was bigger than Refugee and that when it wasn't a huge hit, he felt devastated. I also find it somewhat odd that the song wasn't a bigger hit than it ended up being. It's a perfect pop rock track with an immediately memorable hook, an easy melody to sing along to, a fantastic chorus, and a great all-round feel. But that's the music industry. You just never know what's going to land. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Um, when Paul Zolo asks Tom, any idea what makes a melody work? Tom's response is, I think it's as simple as, can you hum it in your head? Does it do something to you when you hear it? Is it a friendly thing? Do you want to hear it again? The waiting is four for four in this regard. It has that inexplicable quality to it that all great songs have. They just hit you and you stay hit. I've listened to The Waiting probably... I don't know, two or three hundred times at least, but it's a song I can never really get sick of hearing. So obviously I'm going to give The Waiting the strongest 10 out of 10 that I possibly can. It's a song that I loved the first time I heard it, have loved ever since, and still listen to regularly, even when I'm off burrowing into the deep cuts. Um, please remember that you can support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the financial means. Um, as always, I've added again the link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that until the situation changes, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later, and I hate that I keep having to say that week after week. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can always find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe as applicable and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't already. Um, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with The Tom Petty Estate. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official channels, um, YouTube or Spotify or um, Apple Music or wherever you get your music. Um, and please don't forget to check out um, TomPetty.com for official merchandise. If you're not already a member of uh, the Tom Petty Nation or Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook, please go check those out. They are excellent fan communities and they're well worth hanging out in. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. 
stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the second track from Hard Promises, A Woman in Love, brackets, it's not me. Bye-bye.